Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 917. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website to showcase whatever you want. You're a blog or publisher content or just some, some pictures, sell products if you want to, services of all kinds, just a few clicks. Customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using templates that are created by world-class designers. And there's nothing to ever install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code NERDIST. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Um, Hey, I'm going to be, first of all, if you came to any of my shows in New York at uh, Caroline's for New York Comedy Festival, thank you. Uh, They were super fun. And then uh, got to go to SNL Saturday night and see uh, Tiffany Haddish, who I adore, is hilarious uh, and always crushed on At Midnight. Um, Now she's a big superstar. It was so exciting. Uh, She was great. That was super fun. And now I'm back, got a cold, just getting over it. But uh, I'm going to be uh, going back to Portland in a month. So December 7 through 9, Helium in Portland uh, with my buddy Mike Furman will be there too. So get tickets for that. Um, I think a couple of the shows are sold out already. So uh, go just find Helium Portland on, um, on the internet and uh, get some tickets. Come out and see me December 7 through 9. Uh, all right. Also from the Nerdist Community Court Board, Reddit user uh, R.W. Reynolds 3 writes, Hello, I'm the boyfriend or the director of Every Bunny Counts Rabbit Rescue, one of the largest rabbit rescues in the nation. They're having a fundraiser for an all-day spaying and neutering session, which requires the transport of many bunnies from central Connecticut to south New Jersey. The session is necessary because there's been a lack of support from the veterinary community with the rescue. Also, the rescue survives only on donations that uh, provide rent for the facility, food supplies, and the high cost of veterinary care. Michelle's gone so far as to cash her retirement fund to provide the bunnies at the rescue. And the rescue and Michelle personally always takes in sick and disabled instead of putting them down. She does really great work. I see her struggle every day to help them. If you want to help raise money so these bunnies can find a forever home, go to youcaring.com and search every bunny, all one word, or everybunnycounts.com to donate. They only have a couple weeks to raise two grand for the spaying and neutering event. It would really make a difference. Also, Sean Devlin, been a loyal listener since episode 10. By my calculations, it's taken about a thousand hours of Chris yelling, make a thing for me to do so. This summer, I sat down and wrote a short book called The Soul Pusher, fictional tale of death, immortals, secret societies, and body swapping, and it was super fun to write, available now on the Kindle store. Uh, congratulations, Sean Devlin. This episode is Keith Morrison. Um, Lydia and I are big fans of Dateline. Love Keith Morrison. 
And, uh, you know, it, and then he wanted to do the podcast and Lydia's and my minds were both blown. Like, what? We love Keith Morrison. Are you fucking kidding me? And so Lydia was like, I got to be there and meet Keith. So Lydia was, you know, Lydia was here, got to meet him. And uh, Keith was awesome. You know, I just, I love meeting people that I watch. I mean, I still... That the fan thing never goes away, you know. I watch shows, and I'm, and it's still surreal for me to meet people whose voice I hear coming out of a television all the time. People sometimes say that to me about me, and I am saying I say that about a lot of people. So never feel weird about saying it to me because I 100% understand. Keith is promoting the 26th season of Dateline NBC Fridays at 10 p.m. He was uh, super rad, and uh, I had him over to the house, and we did the podcast here. And uh, and I th- and I thank him for coming on. Um, this episode of the podcast was also also brought to you by Stamps.com. Holidays coming up, all right. Avoid the hassle. They're already getting long, all right. I've already seen the Christmas. The Christmas stuff went up before Halloween, for crap's sake. So the lines are already long. Uh, capitalism is in full effect. Christmas presents are already being bought and sent. So just stay out of the post office. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Click print mail and you're done. Stamps.com never closes 24-7. They're going to send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage, helps you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. You're going to get discounts you can't get at the post office. Bring all of the service of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Right now, you can enjoy Stamps.com with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in NERDIST. That's Stamps.com into the promo code NERDIST. Here's the NERDIST Podcast episode number 917 with Keith Morrison. Katie, roll the thing. Now entering NERDIST.com. Shows, you know, we watch Dateline. We watch all the uh, Investigation Discovery shows. Oh, it's yeah. really funny because uh, there, there are a lot of them. There's days. a lot of them. It's yeah. a lot of uh, a lot, lot of shows, and you know, she'll watch. She'll watch the, uh, you know, women who snapped and killed their, and she'll go, oh, here's like five things she did wrong. I'm like, well, that's uh, up- upsetting. <laughs> yeah. That you already yeah. know how to, no. the, how to, how to there, make this there work. There is a way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess some people do get away with it. We just never hear about them. That's exactly right. But it seems like so many times, at least the way these stories are told, you go, well, this person wanted to get caught. I mean, how would they, why would they use a credit card or why would they just stuff it under the seat of their car like Oops. a bloody rag? It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, I know, I know. It doesn't. But, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's that old movie Double Indemnity. Yes. That, it caught it perfectly. No matter how well you plan, 99% of the people who carry out some sort of bizarre plot like that are going to not take something into account. Right. Mess up somehow or something yeah. will go wrong. I mean, it's better just to not kill people. I think ultimately speaking, yeah. it's probably better just to <laughs> get a divorce yeah. or, <laughs> or move to a new town. Uh-huh. Have you noticed any... Consi- I mean, you've been at Dateline for tw- 22 years maybe. Uh, something like that, yeah. Have you noticed any consistencies 
where you go, look, here's a consistent thing with all of these people. We didn't, we actually didn't do murder mysteries for the longest time. We didn't, we started doing those bit by bit, gradually. Right. Uh, And we did more and more of them because our bosses recognized that we were getting bigger audiences (laughs) than for, you know, stories about whales. But, um, (laughs) uh, but, but, uh, that having been said, yes, you you find you do the same story over and over again. I, mm-hmm. uh, and they're all a little different, but as what what is it? History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, and and so do crimes. Right. Um, so we have done. I think we've done six or seven episodes now on murder of husband by wife with using antifreeze. Oh my god! Yeah. Because it just they do they dole it out slowly, slowly, right? and it's like it's it's just like the old arsenic treatment that Agatha Christie used to write about, right? Except maybe they notice it less. Maybe. I guess I don't know, but I almost I, I sort of feel like isn't isn't that now? Wouldn't that be one of the first things that a hospital would test for now, knowing that people do kill each other with antifreeze? They actually change the formulation of antifreeze so that it doesn't taste like sweet tea anymore. Oh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> You think they would automatically do that? Yeah, kind of. Should this taste good? This toxic substance to humans? Should this taste? Let's make it good. Let's make it cherry flavored antifreeze. That's right. Let's make it taste delicious. (laughs) Uh, When did you come down? I know you're from Saskatchewan. Yes. Are you? No. No. (laughs) But uh, you know, whenever you whenever you see someone on TV and they they just have like a generally pleasant demeanor, you go, "Eh, they're probably Canadian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are too many of us on television. There, you, you think that's yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Is you going to start fighting fighting other Canadians mm. for, for spots? No, we wouldn't fight. No, each other. No, we. I'm please. sorry. Please go ahead. Please, I'm yeah. sorry, but you're going to have to. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I mean, when did you? Uh, when you grew up in Saskatchewan. At what point did you say, "Hey, I want to go into. I want to be a broadcaster." Well, I. Um, when all else failed, really. I was a spectacular failure uh, academically uh, from an early age. I think I had a good year in, in second grade, and after that, just, you know, not so good. Um, so I, uh, you know, other things I enjoyed a lot. I, got, I took part in all the extracurricular activities and got into, you know, youth parliaments and all of that kind of nonsense, but I could not study or do my homework, and I didn't do very well at school. Or wake up in time to go to classes at sure. college. Consequently, I, I, I flunked out. And, and I needed something to do with myself. My father was a preacher. Okay. And um, you know, they, in Saskatchewan, they like to say minister because, you know, they, it's not the same as, you know. Oh, gotcha. Southern Baptist or anything right. like that. But uh, so he encouraged me in that direction. And I thought, for, well, for five minutes, I thought maybe, maybe. And... So I tried out one summer being a student minister, uh, you know, preaching the sermons and, uh, you know, conducting the services. And I even did a funeral one time. Oh. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, comforting this 80-year-old woman. I'm 19 or 20-year-old guy. <laughs> and she's actually listening to me for advice. Oh. It was terrifying. But um, so... That ended, and I realized, no, that's not what I want to do with my life. And I was sitting bereft uh, back at my grandfather's house where he was kind enough to let me bunk for a while, and I was watching the evening news on television and said, you know, I could do that. (laughs) 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 So I went and asked for a job at the local radio station a day or two later, and 
They hired me. It's really delivering sermons, but without the comforting part. Yeah, pretty much. much. (laughs) You don't have to go, it'll be okay. You just go, here's what it is. Yeah, and it's bad. You deal with it however you want. That's right. I mean, it's, you know, it it is kind of messed up in in a way that I understand the news delivers a lot of tragic. You know, it's like you said, well, murder did better than whales. People are... drawn to... They always have been. They've always been drawn to it. They'll stop and listen if it's, you know, is everything in your house killing you more Mm. at five? Oh, I need to find out. You know, it's it's fear and tragedy. You can make a living uh, doing those teasers. (laughs) (laughs) Is Keith Morrison in your house killing you more at five? (laughs) Why is antifreeze delicious? Uh Watch at seven. But... uh, it, so I think it's easy for people to get the, this, this worldview that the, the world is a tragic... It's nothing but tragedy, right. and it's nothing but death, and nothing but destruction. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth, either, of course. There's a lot of really great stuff in the world at the moment. There is good stuff in the world, yeah. And crime is down, and murder occurs less frequently than it did in 1990, that's for sure. But I know, but, I, but if you're doing a news show, and you come on and say... Hey, here's the evening news. You know, it's not as bad as... Then people would just stop watching. They would think, oh, crime is solved. Everything's fine. <laughs> they would stop watching. You know, it's, but it's more than that. Because it can't be just any crime. It, it isn't, in fact, about the crime. Um, as my colleague Dennis Murphy likes to say, it's not the murder, it's the marriage. And it, it's, it's... These stories don't work unless they are complicated, unless there are twists and turns, unless there's a whole background you need to know about, and uh, and people get confused, mm-hmm. and you know. So the more uh, the more you can, I hate to say this, and it's, it, I don't I don't really mean it this the way it sure. sounds. It sounds terrible, but the more you sort of throw sand in people's faces, you're going to get to the c- correct conclusion eventually, but it might right. take a little while to get there. Right, it, and, and but this trend of you know, there's a whole channel devoted to these to these shows. And I remember when I was growing up, it was all scripted, and then reality shows came along, and then people yeah. started going, "Wait a minute, mm. this is we, this is because this, this is real, <laughs> so to speak." Yeah. So. But there is there is a certain amount of storytelling to it. I mean, these these types of shows oh. would not exist. If you just came out and blurted out all the facts, they really have arcs to them. And oh, very- they do, and they have to be carefully told. And, you know, the, um, it, it, either we have a six-act structure or a 12-act structure or, you know, maybe 11. And that is not your typical, you know, three-act play, but it, it gets split up in different ways. Uh, and you know that if you're writing Act 6, it's going to be a certain way. And mm-hmm. if you're, but Act 3 is different. You want to cover something else. There. So it's it's... You know, there's an art to it, and eventually you figure out what it is, but sometimes you stumble along the way. <laughs> Do you see yourself as sort of a, a neutral entity in these? I'm merely presenting you what these things are. Yes, uh, but, you know, um, it's, it's, it's all about storytelling, and I... Mostly I go for a ride while other really talented people do the hard work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I get on airplanes and I stay in nice hotels and generally get my meals paid for by the company uh, sure. when I'm on the road. And, you know, it's not so bad. So would you, if someone said, hey, what do you do? Would you say, well, I'm an investigative journalist? No, I would not anymore. And there was a time when I would have said that. But um, I guess I'd say, that I, I don't know, I'm in the storytelling business. Uh, oh, interesting. But, you know, I do very little original reporting anymore. I, 
I'll call people up and say, would you do an interview? And if they agree, then I'll, you know, probe the living daylights out of them if sure. I can. But, you know, I'm not kind of looking in the cracks to see what evidence I can find for this or that. That's, you know, some of these wonderful people I work with. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, you look at someone like Charlie Rose, and right. Charlie just stares people down. I know. And he has he seems to have all the information yeah. in his head, and you can't get anything by him, and he just... He just somehow squeezes all of the information out and disarms people. But you know, you you definitely have a much more of a of a of a, a welcoming. It's not that Charlie's not a welcoming guy. I just mean he he really puts like he gets sure. people up against a yeah, wall, yeah. so to speak. But I think that's because he has to, and it's partly this is partly I have the great luxury of being able to sit and talk to somebody for three hours sometimes, or as long as I want. Right. And eventually, uh, if somebody's comfortable with you, they're going to start telling you things. Um, pay no attention to that future interviewees. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's... Uh, so I, everybody does it differently. But I've never felt that you get much honesty or, or much candor out of people, whether it's honest or not, uh, by trying to force them into it. But if, if they want to talk to you, Sure. If they're if they feel like telling you their story will somehow be cathartic or or be helpful for the person they're talking about or something, then they will. Yeah. How do you? Because obviously, some of these people have stories that they want to tell, but maybe stories that they don't want to tell. Right. Uh, maybe they're telling a different story than what the reality of the situation is. All the time. And so how, you know, how do you, especially when you know what's going on, how, what, are, what are some of the tricks in the bag for, for getting people to break down and yeah. kind of incriminate themselves, so to speak? Yeah. There are people who would try to tell you that you can tell when somebody's lying, and I don't believe that. I mean, I don't believe that. I mean, the best detectives will often say, well... Yeah, no, I'm not very good at it either. But it, what it takes is triangulation. You know, you have, you have to talk to quite a number of people, and then eventually you understand who's lying and who's kind of not. Yeah. Although there is a rule. Uh, remember when Bill Clinton was having his troubles? Yes. And we were still not doing all murders all the time. We were, at the time, doing a lot about Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm, I went to do a story uh, with a uh, an interview with a... Uh, a, a, a psychology professor I think he was in in, uh, in in Birmingham Alabama and he had just written a book Lies 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 or something it was called um, and I said to him you know this very question how can you tell when people are lying and he said everybody lies all the time that's how you know <laughs> and there's a yeah, so it's as a place to start it's not bad and that doesn't mean that you don't want to hear everything that person has to say and value it and respect it. But I'm lying to you right now because I'm just editing things in my head and sure. trying to decide what's the best thing to say and how can I impress this guy. Which of course, yes. yes. Because course. I want Chris to think I'm smart. Well, uh, he already does, <laughs> Keith. You don't have to do anything. Uh, but I do think that uh, it, what, what, gets, what gets really into scary territory is, you know, obviously there are people who know that they're lying. Right. But then there are people with you know, borderline personality disorder right. or, or just textbook narcissists where they can't, no. they can't physiologically 
admit that they've done something wrong. So right. it's, you know, I didn't do that. Those people are so much fun to talk to. <laughs> Especially when they're, when they're in prison and they've been uh, convicted and they still say, you know, I'm innocent, I didn't do this. And right. Pure as the driven snow and you can, uh, that's fun. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a terrible thing to say, but talking to people who want to do that, you're never going to get the truth out of them, but you're going to get an interesting tale uh, as they dodge around, dodge and weave and try to deflect. Right. But, you know, it's it's also sometimes the truth isn't very clear about what's going on. I'm sure you probably watch Making a Murderer. I'm sure. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, oh, Brendan Dassey. What did he, 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 he You know, how does he, how yeah. does that? I know. I mean, but then at the same time, you know, we do have to remember that we are seeing uh, storytelling from the point of view of the storyteller. We know that we're not seeing everything in these in nope. these shows. We're not seeing every detail. Mm-hmm. We weren't at every trial. So it's very easy. And I'm certainly one of those people who's like, well, obviously the legal system was corrupt. You know, but without having been at every day of the trial, seeing every bit of evidence, seeing everything, I can't 100% say that I know for certain that there was a tremendous miscarriage of justice. It feels yeah. like there was, but I wasn't there, so I don't know. Um, I know. Well, there you are. And so we who were there most of the time uh, and are able to talk to the people who shepherded it all through from beginning to end, um, try our best to get it right. And knowing that even in a two-hour program, which we love to do and we do a lot of them now, uh, on a specific individual crime or situation that developed in one family, say, and uh, you spent two hours trying to dissect it, seems like a lot of time. Right. You're using a tiny percentage of the information that you'd like to be able to use. Sure. You could do a whole season or five seasons on that one family. Right. Still not get to everything. So, yeah, it's a problem. But it's using the, it's, it's selecting the right bits uh, that matters so much. But how do you get, I mean, because I'm sure you come into things and you might have immediate judgments of, oh, oh well, of course. It, you know, yeah. so how do you, how do you get past your own, uh, your own judgments when, it, when you really need to kind of do all the research, do all the work, make sure that you don't have your own prejudices get in the way in terms of like, well, it seems like this person did it. Yeah. I mean, it's a conscious effort. I, look, I'm not, you know, as I say, I don't know who's lying and who isn't lying half the time. Right. Um, and I'm working with producers who are more deeply invested in each one of these stories than I am. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the visiting pastor. I come in and I talk <laughs> to people and I go off to the next one. Um, but uh, uh, you, you, you just look at somebody and you take them in as, as if they were your relative or something and you really want to hear their story and just try not to pass judgment on it at all. Unless you know for sure that they're lying, and then you can go after them a little bit. But but you don't even want to do that too much, because as soon as you start beating somebody up on television, it looks far worse than it really is in the conversation. Right. Yeah. And do you have you ever had to struggle with your faith in humanity? <laughs> having seen <laughs> having seen firsthand all this, I mean, I watch someone like Joe Kenda or any of the any of the cops mm-hmm. who you know do the shows, and I go, how do they have any? Yeah. shred of it they've seen the worst things that human beings yeah. are capable of over yeah. and over and over again so how do they wake up every day and go 
hey, uh, the world's okay. The world's not such a terrible place. You know, it's a, that's a fascinating thing. And everybody reacts differently, of course. But I did a story last season uh, about a, um, a female detective who uh, staunchly Catholic woman who was trying to maintain a good view of the world, um, to see her fellow man as, and woman as, as essentially decent people. And she was confronted with a situation where young women believed to be prostitutes kept disappearing. And most of the police departments around there kind of shoveled them off onto a shelf somewhere because they were busy with non-prostitutes. And mm-hmm. uh, she decided that they mattered just as much as anybody else. And so she went to work on those cases and worked so hard on them and cared about them so much that you recognize that she was a more deeply human, caring person than I was. And, and um, I was so impressed by her, by how much she cared about humanity. So maybe it depressed her some of the time, but she sure worked at trying to make things better. Did she figure it out? Did she figure it out. Was yeah. it one person? Was there one reason? There were them? two guys, and they were, um, you know, they were, they'd go shopping for... Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and did really bad things to them, and then they put them on in, in uh, the uh, recycling system of, of uh, Orange County, and they'd, they'd go off and be buried in landfills. So oh, my God. They'd never find them. They got lucky with one and were able to go with the rest of them. But I remember one time we were standing up on the top of this mountain of garbage. And there she was, the detective, you know, we're t- getting a distant shot of her, but she was wearing a microphone. And I don't think she was aware that she was being recorded. Um, and we're getting this wide shot of her standing on the hill from a distance. And she's saying the rosary for each of these girls. Oh, and she wow. knows that they're down there somewhere. Oh my it's amazing, God. yeah. Well, you hope that the people who are investigating these crimes are the most human because they really, you know, in some cases they need to be, in some cases they need to be able to shut it off to do what they want to do, but to do what they need to do, but you hope they care that much because if it were your family or if it were your, you know, significant other or friend, you need to know that someone out there cares that much in order to, to make it right. Yeah. It's very impressive because a, a lot of people in that line of work do feel that way. And they do work for the families and for, or work for the dead, as they'll say. Yeah. yeah. What has uh, surprised you the most? Uh, is there something <laughs> where you, you really were convinced that there was one thing going on and then it completely became something else? I've been more surprised by, um, by the... <sighs> By human, by the edges of human nature, by what people are capable of, that I just, I wouldn't have thought that they would. For example, uh, I'm not able to describe it well enough without telling you about one of them, uh, about a uh, a preacher in the preacher sense mm-hmm. who um, um, was. I can't remember the name of his church, but it was it was a a Bible based church which believed strenuously in heaven and hell and all of the uh, kind of old-fashioned virtues. and But he got the idea partway through his ministry that he should have 
more than one wife, that he was intended to have two or three of them. And so he went and got a junior wife. And he and his senior wife, who reluctantly accepted the circumstances, seemed to be okay for a couple of years. And then he tired of the junior wife because she wanted to go off to college or she wanted to make something of herself, and that's not what he wanted from her. And so he sent the senior wife and the kids off to Santa Barbara for the weekend. And then he went and rented a SUV, bought some big plastic Tupperware containers from you know, the local container store or something, and took his junior wife out to dinner. They had Kobe steak, really expensive dinner. Took her back to the house, put her in the bathroom, killed her in the bathtub, chopped her up into tiny little oh bits, God. put her into these two Tupperware containers, which he, he put in the back of the SUV, drove out to the desert in Arizona, and buried her there under a cairn of rocks. And it wasn't discovered for years. Uh, he, This was a... I just nobody suspected him. And nobody even really knew that he had this junior wife, except, you know, a few people around him. Uh, and eventually it was solved, and he, he he was convicted, and he was sent away for life. And he consented to an interview before he was sent to penitentiary. In California, um, when you're in the penitentiary, they don't allow you to do television interviews. But when you're in jail, before you go, there's a little period of time, a week or two, where you can talk to the TV cameras, usually through glass. Okay. And that was the case here. So I asked him how he... I've always been interested in theology, and I was asking him how he squared what happened with his beliefs and how he was able to, you know, deal... whether he could still feel as if he was a practicing Christian, given what had happened. He said, oh, of course, yes, absolutely. And he went on to tell me that he fully expected when he died, to meet his junior wife in heaven, and they take up where they left off with a wonderful, loving relationship. Oh, my God. (laughs) And that's how his brain justified. There you go, yeah. He, in his mind, he said, oh, this is, I'm just doing you a favor. That's right. Oh, my God. This is a guy who was giving advice to his parishioners every week. And um, go figure. So when you say you have an interest in theology, as in... Like from a sociological standpoint, or just you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with him. Uh, my grandfather was a minister, and um, my father was the eldest of ten children, uh, and all the boys were all but one, I think, were were preachers, ministers, and um, as I say, I was kind of potentially going that way for a little while. Um, so I, I was interested in. I'd heard it all the time as I was growing up, and arguments about uh, uh, theology are pretty common in these kinds of families where people are trying to figure out what is is such a flexible thing. It is, yeah, exactly. (laughs) There are like 37,000 different distinct denominations of Christianity have been formed over the centuries. But uh, So I got really interested after this period of time in where did it all come from and what, what is the sociology of it? And, uh, you know, who started it, why they started it, who continued it, what all the mechanics of the uh, transmission of these beliefs was. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. Well, sure. I mean, you know, it's. I assume it probably started because... Humans needed a reason to, number one, feel 
not insignificant <laughs> fleas. Right, right. And then and then on the other side, uh, it's incredibly effective at controlling and hurting masses of people. Well, that's true. To behave a certain way, to become you know a culture or a civilization and you know where a few people benefit from the yeah don't learn to read this book says you should do this okay but i don't need to learn to read no 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 no. it's fine just do whatever this says and then you <laughs> won't uh, go to hell what's hell yeah. well it's a bad place you don't want to go there but i can tell you how to not right you know at a time when in politics and science and religion we're all the same thing yeah uh so it is interesting how it has evolved in our society and how just like you said it is very people personalize it in ways Whereas, like in this guy's case, like, oh, I'm a, I interpret it this way because yeah. this benefits me. So I need, you know, it's like I, I just feel like so much of the time it gets used as a justification tool yes. for what people actually want, not whatever they, you know, not what is really best for the community or right. religion or whatever their conception of God is. So, yeah, yeah it, is, it is really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, does it, do you find that it plays a recurring theme over and over again in, in what you see? Oh, yeah, all the time. And it, both in those, in a positive and a negative way. Um, at the heart of every one of these major religions, it, it, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism or, or uh, um, Islam or any of at the heart of these religions are some basically... Uh, Loving philosophy. Sure. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the golden rule. I yeah. Mean, it's, just, it's there in all of them. It's the accoutrements that, that change it. <laughs> all the add-ons. All the add-ons, yeah. <laughs> Love your neighbor as long as they believe the same thing that you believe yeah. and look like you do. But other than that, right? you know, as long as that, you know, like, oh, God, guys, come on. What are we, yeah. what are, what are we doing? I mean, it, it is... I know there are good parts to it. They really are. And I think as human beings, we really do need community. We really need to. Well, and, that, and, and you know, as religion has declined, and it really is declining in, in the last, beginning, beginning about the time that the religious right became a more of a political force in America, it, it, was, it was not that it you know, came out of nowhere. It's reacting to the fact that there is a kind of a gradual uh, shrinkage of religious belief. It's not kind of... You know, it was a country in which standard issue belief uh, was held by 90, 95% of the population. It right. goes down every year, and so people uh, are feeling kind of defensive about that. Um, where was I going with that? I don't, <laughs> well, we were talking about community. We were talking oh, about Oh, yeah. Community. So they don't go to church anymore. Right. Well, I think they probably lose an awful lot. There's something when you, when you go to church and you have some sort of liturgy or something, calming, which is what it is, mm -hmm. and you're looking up at some peaked ceiling or stained glass, which is very inspirational, and you have that combination of inspirational sights, uh, repeated uh, mantras, uh, the music of the choir, the, it will transport you and make you feel better. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you don't have that, you're going to not going to have a chance to sort of, unless you go to yoga a lot or, you know. <laughs> so we're missing those elements, I think. Well, I think there are a lot of community. I mean, I think we just need communities. You yeah. Know, I think there are certainly other other communities or, you know. I think we should all come and live in your house. It's you, you, yes. Well, Lovely listen. Place, yeah. I mean, I definitely think there's a roommate comedy <laughs> 
to be had. You, you move in. The uh-huh. you, Keith Morrison moves in. With, somebody disappears. <laughs> <laughs> My wife kills me, and then you explain it. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's our reality. Right. Of the show. <laughs> this, that would be such a bummer for you. Like this happened. Does this have to happen everywhere I go? <laughs> so you know, yeah. you, it's All like. Right. That's why I think. Uh, you know, that's why I think Jessica Fletcher was the one who was responsible for every murder in Cabot Cove. I, I, it, very true. And the, there are these British murder mysteries that come on television. Have you seen them? Which ones? Oh, uh, Masterpiece Theater. Has oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's Father Brown and right. the, the doctor in, in um, Australia and things. They're little tiny communities and they've got a murder every week. <laughs> How's anyone left? <laughs> Their turnover rate yeah. has to be extra. A new person has to move in every time. <laughs> every time someone dies, yeah. but it's you know it, we see it. I, are we in danger of becoming just so desensitized to this type of thing? I mean, the fact that there's a catchphrase called murder porn, where it's like people, yeah. you know, it's like we watch murder shows, and, and there's one, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of, and it's uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's hosted by Susan Lucci, who's great. But she, you know, she does all the wraparounds, uh-huh. and it's like, uh, and, and there's all these sort of puns in them, like, you know, but, uh, but this dog wasn't ready for a bone. And it's like, no, and then the they go, I mean, it's entertaining, but someone really did die. Like, someone really that's did always die. The, that's the problem I still have every, every time. Yeah. Because you go and meet people who are... You know, they'll suffer from grief for the rest of their lives. Yes. And they have consented to sit with you and surrounded by TV cameras and tell you the intimate details of their life and their grief and, their, uh, um, and how horrible this all was for them. And it's very true. And you know as you're talking to them, I'm going to use this person's story to make a program other people will watch to entertain themselves. Right. Um, there's a... And... and uh, it, so that's always kind of a, I feel sort of a funny feeling in my stomach uh, when I start into one of these episodes. And I think what comes with that is you have to be respectful to people's grief. You have to be respectful to their families. You have to, you can't make fun of them because they're trusting you to tell their story. Right. But you're also a news magazine show and not, right. and, and I mean, I would, I mean, I would say, Dateline definitely falls under the umbrella of entertainment. Like, television is entertainment. It's distracting entertainment. However, you know, I do think there's a difference between the news magazine show and the reenactment show, and particularly, like, the reenactment show that has, like, a weird... I mean, I I think Kenda is my favorite because he never romanticizes any of it. Yeah. He see you see the cameras up six inches from his face. I mean, like, it's yeah. right in right in his face, yeah. and you you can see the 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 crusted over horror in his eyes, yeah. and he'll say like, "Yeah, I I haven't gotten a full night's sleep in forty years," you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is very respectful of what's going on, even though there's a reenactment element. But you know, some of the reenactment ones they just get a little hammy, and you're like, "Ah, people died. Come on, what are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and some of these guys are very, uh, or and women too, can can seem. Uh, you know, really hardened by what they're doing, and you think, well, they've got, they don't have any an emotional bone in their body. And then you you go to their office someday, or the cubicle they work in at the department, whatever it happens to be, and 
photographs of these victims on the oh, wall. Wow. They, every day they go in and look at these things. Just to remind them. Just to tough guys. Pay respect or remind themselves? Yeah, to remind themselves that there's somebody there that they're working for and they better get at it. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's really incredible. I mean, when what is the process for how you decide, you know, which stories are going to do, what you're going to cover, how you're going to cover it? Well, uh, I, I shouldn't be revealing things like this, but the um, I like to th- say, and I'm, others don't agree with me, I don't think, that the that we're all we're really doing is we're telling true versions of Agatha Christie stories. Uh, she invented the template. Um, or at least popularized it to the degree that she sold all these billions of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the essence of it is that you have a rather... Sp- you have a discreet, discreet number of possibilities. Um, somebody's been murdered. It could be this, it could be that, it could be the other... But it's not going to be something, you know, way off in Zululand that suddenly popped up and, and in an unexplained way uh, killed somebody. Because, that's, you know, that's like a traffic accident. These things happen. Right. But so that, uh, that's, that storyline is kind of present in most of these news magazine uh, crime shows. There have to be twists and turns. There have to be... Uh, a certain number of possible ways this could go, whether it's a number of suspects or a number of things you're looking to, to solve, but not too many. But are we, I mean, does it ever make you worried that just too many people are just too close to murdering someone at all times? I mean, I can't, it's not something I can even fathom. No. And I would imagine most people feel that way. Right. And maybe even some of the people that are on, that you, that you cover, but something happens where yeah. they make that dreaded leap. Yeah. And then it just happens. Or like the guy. Well, that's, you know, the, there's that. And, and that happens, yes. But there are these things you just scratch your head. And they don't happen very often, mind you. That's, I suppose, why there's stories for us and why people are fascinated and what their fellow person is capable of. But. Like we did one, we had one on the air just the other day where um, uh, this this woman saw a rival coming into her uh, her life with her the boyfriend who had kind of left her and she was trying to get him back, and so she kind of secretly killed the woman Jeez. and then assumed her personality online and kept that facade going for three years. Holy! Before crap. they finally figured out that the person she w- had killed was dead. And that she was doing the impersonating. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, she got the guy back because uh, she, by impersonating this dead woman, was able to harass both herself and her ex-boyfriend. And they had something to share. And they got back together again. That is, I mean, so, that's yeah. a very complex, Yeah, that, there's a lot of complexity in that. And you, I guess you would think... You know, I, I, always, I always marvel at people who've gotten away with something for a long time and uh-huh. then they get caught. You you after like a year or two you probably just think, well I guess that's fine now because yeah. you would just get comfortable right or do you think there's always no, something? Do you think there's always something in the back of the head like someone's gonna find out someone's gonna find out? Well, yeah, and that and that was I think what the issue was there. But I mean she went to the extent of making herself look innocent by having this fictional person burn her house down with her pets inside. Oh my! Killed her pets. God. She shot herself through the leg. 
uh, to make yourself look innocent and somebody else look. How'd they figure it out? Uh, well, in the end, you know, technology undoes all of us. Sure, <laughs> sure. Okay, so, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, I mean, when you when you the, the fascinating thing about the Kenda cases is that they, this you know he was there in the, from this in the seventies to the early nineties, right? And there was you know even, even DNA testing does wasn't really reliable until kind of near the end of his tenure, but yeah. But now you know, do we feel? better as a civilization because it's harder and harder and harder to get away with these things? I hope so. I mean, it is hard to get away with these things now, and, they, and people get caught. But again, let me repeat, this doesn't happen very often. Right. right. It's not a less safe world than it used to be a generation ago. And, and nowadays, not as many uh, mistakes are being made um, by law enforcement and by the courts because there is, you know, there's more of that kind of technological evidence available than there ever was before. Sure. Yeah, a, a, a guy that I knew who was an entertainment reporter said he used to, when he first started, he covered the crime beat for the Los yeah. Angeles Times, uh-huh. I think. And I said, oh, my God, that must have been crazy. Did, did it just, did you have trouble sleeping at night? And he goes, no, it was the opposite. Because he said, what I learned was that in the cases of murder... An astonishingly high number, he said seven or eight times out of ten, it was not random. Yeah. That, that oh, even yeah. though it seemed random by, by just by looking at the superficial qualities of the crime, when they would dig a little deeper, they would find this person knew this person. There sure. was a connection. Oh, yes. And he said it actually made me feel a lot safer uh-huh. that I wasn't just going to randomly get murdered on the streets of Los Angeles, which, you know, but when people think of a big city like L.A., they go, oh, it must be crime ridden. He was like, it was actually not, really, yeah. not as crazy as, no. as you might think. No, this guy in Las Vegas is a unicorn. I mean, that just never happens. So, as everybody is talking about. And, and they but, still but haven't... It, but it doesn't to, happen on smaller scales either. They still haven't been able to pinpoint uh, what mm-hmm. his... Uh, yeah, not. What his motivation was. And that, that you know, when, when these types of tragedies happen, I'm always torn about, don't publish the guy's name and his picture because it just Uh-oh. glorifies, yeah. you know, and there's going to be someone else out there that's going to see that and copycat it and we can't, we can't, but at the same time, it, it is important to figure out who these people are and try to understand so that we can prevent these types of things in the future. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's you're right. It's, it's a push-pull with a thing like that. I, I always feel the same way. And whenever there's a terrorist incident or something, I want to say, stop it, for God's sake. Don't go live on television all the time. That's right. what they want. Right. Or this guy who, um, the I guess he was a minister, the guy that took the cough medicine and killed his wife in the middle of the night. Oh. And, and said he, uh, this just happened like a month ago. Uh, okay. He, uh, he said he... Uh, he woke up and he had blood all over himself and his wife was dead on the floor and he said, well, I took this cough medicine and maybe I took more than I should have and I didn't know, you know. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it just Hmm. seems like, you know, how do you know what to believe? I I would never, I mean, I think being a juror, as much as we all, you know, when you get the jury duty summoned, you go, oh, I got to go. I mean, I have so much respect for people who actually are able to do it because the amount of information that they see, because it, it feels like, and I'm not, not, to, not to disparage the court systems, but in a lot of cases, it almost kind of seems like the point of a trial is not necessarily to find out the truth. 
But there's a justice pong between the defense and the prosecution. That's a good way to put it. I worry about that, too. But I'm, I'm an outsider looking in. But whew, sometimes when you talk to jurors and look at the facts of the case, you think, how the heck did they come to that conclusion? Right. It doesn't make any sense at all. Right. But... There you go. Or hearing that something, uh, well, this isn't admissible. I know, but it proves that this person didn't do that thing. Well, but it's not, you can't consider it. But aren't we trying to find out the truth? Well, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe not. I remember, uh, may I bore you with an old Please, story? Please, go right ahead. So there was this guy, um, his name was Billy Wayne. His case is now taught in some uh, law schools in the East. But he was a... A very poor man, um, very overweight, uh, who uh, who had a wife and, and three little girls. They lived in a poor part of a town in South Carolina. And they were not good housekeepers at all. In fact, the kids had been taken away from them once because they were so bad, and eventually they got the kids back again. So he didn't have the best reputation in the world, but he was a sweet man. Um, and one night, something happened in his house. He woke up in the morning and couldn't get a, couldn't raise his I couldn't hear his daughter so he went to check on her and she was in bed dead and he went and called 911 he was a guy with a kind of a flat affect anyway and the police decided he must be guilty must have killed her she was sexually assaulted as well so they questioned him without uh well, the question on audio tape, during the time it was on audio tape, he, he denied killing his daughter, something like the defense attorneys used the word 666 times, but it was something oh, around that yeah. many times. Yeah. Um, and, until eventually they, it wasn't the brightest bulb, and they wore him down. And after four days of this, he confessed that he killed her, that he did it. They you know, gave him a, 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 a story that he could, you know, get his head around, I guess. Um, and he not only did that, he wrote it down, signed it, and then he did a video presentation, went to his house, and he showed how he choked his daughter and killed her. Um, the only problem was that none of the things in his confession matched any of the facts in the case, so it couldn't possibly have been true. Um, however, he was charged with first-degree murder, and he immediately became the most hated man in this town. About a a few weeks later, um, another man was arrested who had been doing some uh, robberies and sexual assaults in the area ever since he was released from prison a few weeks before this girl was killed. And they tested his DNA. By this time, you know, the Billy Wayne was already you know, on his way to um, trial. Uh, they tested the DNA of this other guy and discovered he's the one who did it. It's his DNA on this little girl. But instead of charging the other guy, they charged them both with conspiracy to do it together. Oh, because my gosh. The dad was in the house. He must have heard. Well, there's no reason why he should have heard necessarily. But So eventually, they're both convicted by a jury of a conspiracy to commit murder. But the father was given you know, a kind of a harsher... Sentences were both harsh, but the father was like the devil. Um, and the jury, when I interviewed them, and, and you're going over these things, well, how do you get around this problem and that problem and the other problem? And one of the jurors, 
ha having refused to answer a number of questions, said, well, you know, they were, th this father was a very religious man, and his daughter, who he killed, was a very religious girl. And they, that church is very much against homosexuality. And we decided this guy who came to see him in the middle of the night was probably a homosexual. What? And they were having a, some sort of homosexual liaison, and the daughter woke up and discovered them, and they decided they had to kill the daughter so that she wouldn't report what they had done. How did they get that? Was that any presented in the evidence anywhere? No. <laughs> Jesus. That's terrifying. Yeah. That now, I don't think the whole jury uh, you know, came to that conclusion. Most of them wouldn't talk to us. But this one particular person, that was his thought. Oh, good Lord. Well, I, uh, that is, I mean, I don't, even have to, I don't even have to wrap my brain around that. So is the guy still, was he still, still in jail? He died a few years ago. It, it was a sad story. He went to, he went to jail. He, he became a minister in jail. And he actually didn't have such a bad uh, life there. Although, you know, he was, his wife died. His children never spoke to him again. It, it was tragic. So it's, so all of the evidence would suggest that he just slept through the whole thing, had nothing to do with he it. He wore a CPAP mask in the days when those made a lot of noise. Sure. He was at, in, in a small house, but he's in one bedroom. The, the uh, daughter who was killed was in a bedroom probably fif 10 to 15 feet away from his door. It was her door. The little girls who, uh, uh, the two little girls lived, had their own separate bedroom right next door to the other daughter's bedroom. They didn't wake up. He with the CPAP machine on, I don't see why he would have wakened up, but in, in, he didn't. Right. Um, and you know, it was only in the morning that he discovered what happened. So when you, when you hear a story like this, or whether you're covering it or not, do you feel a sense of anything to go, well, I have to yes. shine the light oh, on this yes. injustice? Yes, yes. There, were, there was a period of time where I got really interested in these kinds of stories and in what appeared to, to me to be false convictions in which, I mean, I'm not going on my own, uh, there are Innocence Project attorneys all around the country working on these kinds of cases, and some of the more celebrated ones are ones we have stories we have done. But most of the people involved in them still spent years and years and years in prison. Some of them are still there, um, and you, you, those are the. I think about those people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because just like in the making a murderer case, right. it's the nephew. Did you do this? I didn't do this. Come on, you did this. I didn't do that. You know, and he, you know, unfortunately didn't have the complete faculties right. to... That's a classic case. Classic case where in his mind, he says, so if I tell you this, you're just going to let me go? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you can go home. Sure. Okay, fine. I did it. He, he did it. He says he did it. Yeah. Like, well, you just... I know. <laughs> we did a piece once from, with um, uh, a, a well-known detective in, in England who was part of a program where they had changed the law there, changed the rules, um, because they were having some problems with false confessions, where previously, as is the case in this country, um, the detective can lie. It's perfectly fine. You can say, you know, I just talked to your friend. who, Right. And he just flipped on you. He, he said you did it, and he had nothing to do with it. And what are you supposed to think? Right. right? But that is a, it's a complete fabrication. But you can do that. 
And uh, you can do a whole bunch of other things. You know, you can you can put somebody in a corner. You can crank up the heat to ninety five or make it really cold. You can two big guys can be kind of facing in on you. You know, giving you that policeman stare right for a long, long, long time as long as they want with no supervision. As long as you don't invoke Miranda. Uh, anyway, you get false confessions. So the in 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 Britain and in most other countries now they've changed the rules where you can't lie, where everything has to be recorded on video and audio, and it's got to be good quality video where you can see the guy, person's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see the detective's face. Uh, and, and there has to be a lawyer present. And it can only go a certain period of time. Like you can only have an hour and a half at each right. interrogation. And you, can, you can't keep them in, in, in a jail cell for days and days and days while this goes on. So the, the, the police, uh, the detectives and so on, felt that they rebelled against this. They thought, we'll never solve a crime again. But their clearance rate has gone up by something like 20%. Since, so they're solving more crimes since this went into effect. Why is that? Because they had to change their method of, uh, of investigation. So they would do pretty much what uh, people like me do. They'd go and talk to somebody. They'd get their story. The story's on the record. Then you can go check the story against the... Uh, you know, the other evidence you're able to find. And right. where, where the two disagree, that's a demonstrable situation where your your person has is, is now committed uh, you know, a felony. In, a, in, a, in essence, it's lied to a police officer. You are able to uh, work with that and eventually come to a, a better conclusion, in their view, anyway. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, that is... I'm glad it works that way. Because I would imagine, yeah, I mean, if you sit someone down and you go, your friend turn on you or this, I mean, all, all the kind of law and order stuff that you see, right? you know, uh, of course, I go, oh, I didn't, he wanted to, yeah, you know, I mean, right. it just, sure. How, what do you think the percentage of false convictions is? You know, like, what do you think? Oh, God, I don't know. But, you know, I, I, the experts of this will say that probably, you know, if, if there are two million people in prison every night in America, maybe, you know, at least two to three percent of them are innocent of any crime. So oh, how many Lord. people is that? I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, there'd be like 40,000, 50,000 people. Yeah. Good Lord. That's crazy. But mm. it, but this is the justice system that we have, and the hope is that, right. well, hopefully it nets favorably for... Well, and, and it, of, yeah, it does, pretty, it does pretty well. I don't know, though, whether I would pick a jury or a judge uh, if I had the choice. You mean to be a juror or a judge? No, no. If I were if I were charged with something, oh, would gotcha. I, would I want a jury? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the think... problem is they don't get to hear the whole story. No, they don't get to hear no. the whole story, and and so much of it is how well their attorney can manipulate the emotions of uh-huh. the of those people who are being paid five dollars a day or whatever it is, and who. Uh, are having to sit in one place and focus for eight hours. Right. And really, I mean, you know, you hope that your peers are all responsible citizens, but, you know, but then you interview this guy who is convinced of this crazy story of, of the... I know, it's... Who knows? I mean, that was an outrageous example, but still. What do you do for fun? When you're doing it, you do this, your job, your job is very serious. Your job is very no, serious. No, I, I love this job. I would do this job for free. Don't let my hear that. <laughs> Don't, that's on, it's recorded now. Yeah. But no, it's, it's, who knew? I had to be dragged into this. I didn't, I thought it was awful doing this. I ran up against that, here we are telling people's 
personal tragedies as a form of entertainment. Right. I, I, very early and often. And I didn't want to do it. It took a long time to kind of get to that point. Um, but, but now, I mean, there is a way we can serve their interests, and the stories are so damned interesting, you just can't not cover them. Well, sure, and you're able to shine a light yeah. onto people that would otherwise... Well, yeah, yeah. But you get into them. Uh, where, you know, a, a, a story about politics or other stuff I used to do, a fire or a whatever. I mean, they're just... You recite some facts and go home. Here, man, you can't stop thinking about it. I sort of feel like covering politics now is almost... Well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I used to say that, but I can't anymore. No, it's crazy. (laughs) I remember covering politics is crazy right now. It's such a a volatile time. I mean, you know, we're we're in such an era where people... we're, We're just in, like... Everyone just shouts, you know? It's like, I feel like there was a time where even if people didn't agree... They might argue, but they might still go, well, uh, I don't know. You're a person. I'm a person. You know, now it's just, if you don't agree with me 100%, you're the worst person in the world. And I'm going to yell yeah. at you, and I'm going to get uh, in your face and say yeah. any horrible thing I can. Yeah. I mean, do you, what do you, when you, when you sort of look at all this, and you look at all the stories that you cover, and you look at where we're at now, you know, like, where, where can we find our shreds of humanity again? Where do we find our humanity? Yeah, good. Oh, you see, the, the problem is, I think we're uh, creatures of our tools, right? Sure. We, we have the internet. We have iPhones and uh, devices where we can, you know, rant at somebody at, at a moment's notice. Right. And right, we right. can be, we can feel like we're anonymous as we do it, whether we are or not. But so it, 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 it creates such a climate that we are different creatures now than we used to be a couple of generations ago. You can't get that back. It's gone. Forever. I know. Well, there's, there are the creature, there are the entities that we portray to the world, you know, mm-hmm. these digital representations of who we want the world to think we are, yeah. and then who we really are, you know, I mean, the extreme cases are obviously posing as someone that you've murdered for three years, but, <laughs> you know, the, the yeah. common case is this posting this sort of Matrix-style idealized versions of ourselves so that people think we're all cool and we're all woke and we're all just super well-adjusted. Uh, and we're all, we're all messed up. Truly. <laughs> yeah, we are. We certainly are, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure people have asked you a million times, but you must have seen the Bill Hader thing. <laughs> yeah. you, was it delightful to you, or were you like, what an asshole? No, it was uh, it was horrifically embarrassing for about five minutes, and I thought, well, wait a minute, this is pretty cool. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Very funny. And, yeah. and he, I've never met him, um, but everybody tells me what a nice guy he he's is. So, the, he's yeah. such a sweetheart. I think I read something where he said, you know, because because of NBC, he was like, I was, he was really terrified he was going to get in an elevator with you on NBC yeah. and have yeah. to be like, hey, yeah. I was just, <laughs> I mean, you know. No, no. I, I used to think I'd, in fact, it probably is true that I, <laughs> I owe him a, percentage of my income or something. <laughs> well I feel like you know there are two types of impression you know there are two types of impressions that people can do there there's you know like what Baldwin is doing with Trump which is like I want to ridicule this guy yeah but then there are other types of impressions where I really feel like he's a real fan he's a real fan of yours because it, you know it's to create a caricaturization of someone you really have to pay sure. attention to them sure. but I understand also that 
I am, and maybe most people are, but I, I know I am faintly ridiculous, and um, that's okay. I don't mind being <laughs> what do you think is What do you think you're ridiculous for? Eh, it's just a funny way I talk or something. I don't know. doesn't matter. Well, you know what it is? It's, there, there's a real, like, you know, knowing that you grew up in Saskatchewan, uh-huh. there's a real sort of like, pull up a chair, let's have a conversation. I mean, like, and that's different than the, this is the hard-hitting new, you know, there's a certain right. cadence. Right. And it happens in every form of entertainment where, you know, when Howard Stern became popular, a bunch of guys started sounding like Stern. When E! became popular, a bunch of entertainment reporters all started talking like this. Like, there's there's one, like, patient zero that that just infects all the cadence. And... But I like to think of it as it's pottery styles. You know, if you're an archaeologist, you go back and look at ancient civilizations, yeah. and you know that something happened in the year 380 B.C. as opposed to 360 B.C. because right. the pottery is different. Over 20 years, thousands of years ago, you can tell the difference of 10 or 15 or 20 years. Yeah. It's the same with the way people talk. It's the same with the way they behave. Right. You know, some uh, archaeologists could come back and listen to this conversation and know... But it was 2000, what the hell is it? 17. Yeah, there you go. 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, uh, but your style is so, um, it's so, I don't know how to describe it. It's so, it's comforting. I mean, it's not, Aww. it doesn't feel presentational in that way. It almost, you know what it feels like? It almost feels like, all right, there, you're going to hear about some bad things, mm. but the good news is, that uncle you like is going to tell you all those things. <laughs> so it's going to, ma- you know, it's somehow going to make it uh-huh. okay so that you don't, you know, so that you don't feel like you're just dropped into a bucket of ice, you know, when you're hearing about it. Glad to hear that. Well, Thank th- you. Th- this is, not, I mean, the material present is not easy material to present. It's not, it's people's uh-huh. lives are at stake. It's the worst things that have happened. You know, uh-huh. hearing you describe these cases has to be done with a certain respect and delicate, you know, like if it delicately, yeah. and so it's not, a, you know, of all the jobs in entertainment, that's one where I sort of feel like well, I don't know if I could do. I don't know how you're able to to do that in a way that presents it respectfully, but also these are the facts, and I'm not, you know, I'm trying to present them. I mean, it's it's there's a real balancing act to mm-hmm. it. Do you well, think that came from covering politics, or is that just a part of your personality? I, uh, you know, I don't claim credit for that. I think I think most people who do this sort of thing recognize where the boundaries are, and you know, you want to be you want to be respectful of the, especially this kind of material. Yeah, yeah. Is there I see politics covering politics now is just it, I want to tear my hair out. <laughs> it's uh, it's beautiful hair, by the way. I mean, uh, you've, you're one of the lucky ones. You know, you're one of the lucky ones. That is a nice. That is a gorgeous head of hair. Very kind, very kind. Thank you. <laughs> Extremely white. <laughs> it is, but yeah. it's a it's a, it's authoritative, but it's got a nice wave to it. Like it's, 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 yes, I, I worry sometimes that it's beginning to look Trumpian. No, 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 no. No, okay, good. No, 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 no. All right. No, because it doesn't... Not that there's anything wrong with that, understand, but I just wouldn't want to... No, no, well, there is something wrong with it. But it it doesn't have that dramatic swoop. Uh, It just sort of feels like, you know... I don't know. It's It's like the... How does he do that, anyway? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's just, like, so long in the front that it just... Yeah, and it's really short along the... Yeah, yeah it's, it's strange, isn't it? I don't really know how it is. I, I kind of wonder... How does it stay that way if it's windy or something? Uh, or I don't know. It? it must be either some type of 
composite material. Could be. Or, you know, maybe every morning they just drive him around and he holds his head out the window and it just, like, blows in a certain yeah. way. And then when it just settles back down, yeah. that's what it is. Is it less orange now than it used to be? I think it's it is. It's probably going a little grayer. Or just more kind of blonde with eh, a little gray, maybe. I mean, he's been playing a lot of golf. So that's true. <laughs> so, you know, true. maybe more golf than before he was president. So maybe he's, you know, he's out in the sun more. He's out in the yeah. sun, you know. See, now this is a, a way of covering politics. I'm not sure it's a good way, but there it is. <laughs> well, we're not really talking about anything actually political. We're just talking yeah. about how we are fascinated as hair enthusiasts. Yes. How exactly uh, how a, how that is possible. Yeah. Purely for science. Yeah, it's a scientific study that we're doing. It's, it's damned impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think the responsibility of the news media? Like, what's the line of demarcation between? All right, this is responsibly covering something, and all right, that's exploitative. I mean, I remember maybe fifteen years ago, or so, fifteen twenty years ago. They were still completing the 105 freeway in Los yeah, Angeles. Okay. And a guy, there was a high-speed car chase. They covered it all. Oh, all right. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. You know, guy gets out of the car, you know, shoots himself, and it's yep. alive on the news yep. in the afternoon. Of course, afterwards, you know, there was the somewhat a pile. We're very sorry we showed this. Uh, this tragedy should not have been shown. But remember, it shouldn't have been shown here first on Action News. You know, like they <laughs> yeah, apologize. They're probably yeah. really sorry. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So at what, what do you think the line is between the responsibility to deliver the news versus, uh, okay, now this is just exploitative? Well, I come from Canadian television. I spent the first what, 25 years of my career there. Yeah. Um, and when I came here, I thought everything was exploitative. And, that's um, fair. That's a fair point. It's vastly different than it was where I came from. Well, now they've kind of evened out a little bit, I think. Sure. Um, Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The television business is a cruel money trench. You know that, you know that expression? <laughs> Long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. <laughs> That's a good Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. But, I mean, it's all about... It's, it's about making money for the people who own these places. And those of us who work there like to think that we're journalists. And so we're going to tell a true story. And that's crucially important for us. And making money is crucially important for them. Right, but the line changes all the time. It depends on where you work, who you work for, how desperate they are. You know, it's, it it just changes all the time. It's interesting to hear that you worked for twenty five years before you came to this country, yeah. and then you've been at Dateline for almost twenty five years. I yeah, I started in broadcasting uh, in. September of 1967. Oh my God! Fifty years ago. Yeah. But that was all, what an incredible time that was too for oh, yeah. for political change and yeah. and cultural change. Sure it was. I mean, at that time, were people saying the same thing like, "Ah, the world's going to shit. We're all gonna, you know." Well, it was going to shit. Pardon my expression. No, please. But, it's all right. Um, yeah, it was. It was not great, right? People getting assassinated. Wars started that shouldn't have been started. Oh man. And but we survived. Yeah, although, yeah. Uh, can you imagine what the world would be like if that r- mistake hadn't been made, if we hadn't gone to Vietnam? I mean, I can't... I mean, Who knows, I, right? Who knows? I mean, it is, it is the sort of a... If you undo one thing, right? what, what, are, the, what are the net consequences of, of everything? That's, the butterfly effect. The butterfly oh, yeah. effect, yeah, oh. the butterfly effect. But, I mean, at that time... 
Were at that you, time, it was it was yeah it was. Is that mostly what you were covering? No, I was Canadian. Remember, I was I was in Saskatchewan. <laughs> Uh, there might be a maple shortage this year, you guys. Yeah, didn't uh, have maple there. I'd go down to the um, city hall and see what they were doing there. It was, it was a starting out job. You know, I'd go to magistrate's court and come back and write a story about some poor kid who was convicted of dangerous driving or something. And so what made you decide to come to America after 25 years? Uh, you know, you. Um, I was going along happily. Uh, I was doing political documentaries. I mean, just turgid compared with what you wouldn't get them on the air in this country. And, and we were only doing it in that country because it was a, uh, it was a, a you know, a government supported network sure. that decided it was important to tell these kinds of stories, even if nobody wanted to watch them. So I was a guy who did those sorts of things. And I just out of the blue one day, um, I got a call from Los Angeles. <laughs> you want to come and be an anchor on this private station in Los Angeles? And I think I was at a place where I didn't know what the next step was, but I know I wanted to take some step, and maybe I was tired of documentaries about politics. And I thought, what the hell? I'll just have a sabbatical. I figured I'd come down and try this for a couple of years, and I'm still here. I mean, it must be, you know, to see what you've accomplished... You know, at that time, 25 years in, you probably figure like, well, I don't know, I've probably done... I mean, are you thinking, like, I've probably done everything. I mean, I'd like to do some other stuff, but who knows? We, As I recall that very uh, day that this happened, a producer and I had been doing a story um, about some serious pollution problem in a town called Sarnia. And they called it the Blob. And the Blob had kind of taken over the river there, and there was it was a crisis. They were trying to sort it out. So he and I were sitting in a kind of down market hotel motor inn having dinner and talking about how okay well I guess we're lifers at the CBC now this is just where we'll spend the rest of our careers and I got called to the phone and it was you know the guy had persistently tried to find me <laughs> and they found me at this hotel but I guess it was it, odd to well, say the least yeah but it also you know if you're willing to stay in the game long enough you just yeah. never know yeah you just never know no it's true uh, is there anything you want to plug or promote or anything you want to you know well, I like it when people watch Dateline yeah I do that's good and I like it when they tweet how did you even know about this podcast? Like when they said, you, you know, Keith, do you, you want to have Keith Morrison on the podcast? I'm like, yes! I wouldn't have even, I would have asked, but I wouldn't have thought you'd no, want to do it. No, no, no. I, you know, Al Gore was on your podcast. <laughs> it's true, he was. Yeah, he was. God, he's got an amazing voice. He, he? Do, he does have an amazing that voice. Rich, deep, it just rolls out like, I don't know, butter. I still feel bad. You know, I feel bad. I, 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 I kind of went. I'm not a journalist. I'm uh-huh. just a guy who likes to have conversations with people. But I was fascinated by Al because, you know, a, the smallest percentage of humans have experienced what he's experienced yeah, going right. through, pre, right. you know, a presidential race. Right, right. And I was really curious to know, like, what happens, you know, when when you put all this in, yeah. you put all this energy into something and it doesn't work out, and you question the results. Right. He didn't answer your question. He didn't answer it. No. And you know, he and he's been asked that question lots of times, but probably not as in an interesting way as you did. Well, I, I was, I just, I was really trying to understand the humanity behind it because right. how do you? My point being, 
you know, you, you, you've picked up and you, you've still, you know, you've done, you've gone on to do a million other things. Yeah. And just for people who feel like they've been kicked in the gut by the thing that they really, really want, like, how do you get up? And, uh, and, all, and the only thing he said was like, oh, you're bringing up some PTSD here. But what I realized is that uh, having a conversation with a politician is a lot different than oh, yeah. talking to a, an actor. Pivot, or a, pivot. Yeah, it's, and he, he's, he's really amazing at it. I mean, really amazing at it. But I'm also not, because I'm not a journalist, I'm not going to go, focus, well, I'm, answer my question. I'm going to be like, okay, well, he doesn't want to talk about it, so I'm not going to make him talk about it. Well, right. But... Uh, it, do you have any? Maybe I'm just mining you for tools. When you talk to someone, <laughs> you won't find very many here. Uh, but when you can't get someone, when you can't get that that thing that you're aiming for, and it's, I don't do it very often, but when you can't get that thing that you're aiming for out of someone, is there sort of a go-to, or do you just go, "Hey, you know what? They don't want to talk about this. I'm going to let it go." Or, 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 or do you? You just... know, I, but the thing was with that. I, I listened to that interview and. Um, I, you, you have the luxury of an hour with somebody, but yeah. you don't have the luxury of four hours to reduce into that one. So uh, I, probably if I were in your position, I would have just circled back, <laughs> circling back and circling back until finally something came out. Oh, that's but, great. But when you have to, because I've done the, I did a morning show one time. You got four minutes. You got to get oh, yeah. somebody's deepest thoughts in four minutes. It's not going to happen. And promote the thing that they want to promote. And promote the thing they want to promote. But, yeah. Uh, so... You you hit it hard and you miss the mark ninety percent of the time, but if you've got all the time in the world, you know this wouldn't have been possible um, if, if in the old film days. I, that's when I started, and you had an absolute maximum for any interview you wanted to do of ten minutes. Oh my gosh! And if you because that's how much film was on the roll. Oh my gosh! That's you were you were hobbled by technology. So you could never have a dateline in nineteen. 19- you know, 75. It just wouldn't happen. Unbelievable. Be yeah. yeah. I mean, the, just the evolution of media and even the medium of podcasting, I, I find so in like really impactful in the landscape of, you know, when at one other time in history, could you have this much long form content about literally anything you would want to know or learn about or hear about or humanize people that you see? I like to think I've got, you know, a wonderful job, but I got to say yours is not so bad. <laughs> you could easily do a podcast, by the yeah, way. But no, you don't think so? No. Nah. Eh, think about it. Yeah. I think you can think about it. All right. I'll think about it. All right. I'm so It was such an honor to meet you. I mean, my, when I told my wife, she was like, I have to say hi. Like she, you know, I mean, we <laughs> legitimately watch you quite a bit. Well, when she said she had some plans afoot for you. Yeah. To, yeah. It's, no, it's, I guess we it's good that we those. get this on yeah. record now <laughs> so that you yeah. can cover the story. And when you cover right. the story of my murder at the hands of my wife, you can you can replay the footage of you talking to her. Uh-huh. I mean, uh-huh. that's very Inception level. I know. I mean, the ratings would be amazing. They would be. All right. I'm assuming you've got cameras everywhere. This <laughs> we do have cameras. <laughs> My wife would, you know, make sure to do it in front of the, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just make sure that it was all, all recorded. Yeah. So well, I appreciate that. Keith Morrison, I, it was an honor to meet you. And, uh, and thank you so much for coming it's, to the it's house. It's been an honor to be here. Thank Excellent. You. Thank you so much. Um, we, we end the podcast by telling our listeners to enjoy their burrito. It just really? means It just means enjoy your present. Don't oh. live in the past or the future. Enjoy your experience. Enjoy the process as it's happening. Would you mind signing us off and just telling the listeners to enjoy their burrito? Ah. Really? Enjoy your burrito. That's it? Yeah. Well, enjoy your burrito then. 
the best. Thank you so much. The end. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by HBO's Night of Too Many Stars, America Unites for Autism program. John Stewart's going to return to host. Uh, this is, of course, a live comedy benefit on HBO, presented in partnership with Next for Autism. It's an all-star event featuring stand-up performances, sketches, short films by some of Hollywood's biggest stars, airing Saturday, November 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, only on HBO. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Reyes Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.